This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Who's on the show? Mostly the anxious types of people. Interesting. why we have so much drama is because those are the people who generally are more extroverted also mm-hmm. and who are going to sign up for the show to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's the person who's going to make it to the end because they're going to say, I'm falling in love with you. I'm in love with you. The biggest myth I hate out there is love will happen when you're not looking. I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen is you're going to get hit by a bus when you're not looking. Like, <laughs> not friggin' going to happen. Let's take a breath. <sighs> hey guys, I'm Cindy Litwako and welcome to Something to Share. Every Wednesday, I sit down with people you may have seen on your TV screens, experts in their fields, or just people I find inspirational so that they have a platform to dive into the things that they really want to talk about. We all have something to share, something that we're going through, and something that we need to hear. So let's get started. Today's episode is so fun. I had a blast recording this episode. So we have Dr. Diane Strakowski on the podcast. Um, She is a licensed therapist. She's been doing this for many years. But besides that, she is focused on this idea of bringing her clients, whoever she works with, back to love. And I love this idea of just going back to that simple idea of love. And it's not just for relationships or dating. It can be even for yourself. And that's kind of her message is this bringing yourself back to love. And I think we can easily forget that. But ultimately, that's what we're all searching for, whether that's love for ourselves, whether that's love for your children, your partner, um, whatever you're kind of looking for. Love is usually at the center of that. Um, So I think it's just like such a great episode. Plus, it's super fun. Um, She is a very big Bachelor fan, which I love. Her main method or her main focus with her work is the use of attachment styles. And I'll let her break that all down for you. But we all have different types. And it's based on how we were kind of brought up by our parents. And it kind of determines how we are going to show up in dating and relationships later in life. I find it fascinating. And she breaks down like all the science of it and why that happens and how that's going to affect us later. And I just think it's so, so fascinating. She's going to break all that down. And I think it's so helpful for now understanding that And taking that and applying that to how you interact with people in your life, whether that's someone that you're dating or your already spouse or partner, just kind of understanding how they operate, how they were raised, and how that's going to affect how they show up 
in dating in a relationship with you. It's so cool. And because she's a huge Bachelor fan, she gives such clear examples of that through the show. So she explains like each type and how they kind of showed up on the show. There's very clear examples. I'm not going to give them away now, but it's I. it made the whole show kind of make sense for me and I was on it. So she definitely has some strong knowledge here. And I, as a contestant on the show, we all know that the show is super dramatic and especially being a part of the house, it's extra dramatic because it's a part of your everyday life. It can be overwhelming at times, um, dealing with so many different personalities. But the other element that she brings up makes it make so much sense of like how and why I felt the way I did during the show, how I felt overwhelmed by everyone's different personalities and The main thing that I just really didn't get while I was there was how quickly people were kind of falling for The Bachelor and how they had them him on this pedestal. We all kind of showed up for him, but I just didn't fully understand the dramatics around the way that they were just like falling head over heels in love with this person so quickly and then getting into crazy fights about it and all this stuff where I was like, are we all dating the same? I don't understand. Like, how am I this behind in my emotions about it? It really didn't make sense to me at the time. But what Dr. Diane explains makes perfect sense. And it's mind-blowing. So it's super fun. Definitely one if you are a Bachelor fan, but even if you're not, it's this episode's for everyone. If you're just dating or if you're single or if you're in a long-term relationship, whatever you got, it's important information to kind of get. And I love, I loved everything about this. Can't say that enough. So enjoy this episode. As far as just what's going on with us, um, I'm so excited with some of the interviews that I've had lately. Some great people are coming out and they've all kind of been around this idea of just like either love or hope or each person's expertise and getting you guys and whoever's listening to it to feel their absolute best. And that's kind of my goal. My message with this podcast is to have us all better ourselves from all angles, because I think that in order to be the best type of functioning humans. It's not just one thing that we all can shift and grow and fine tune. It's kind of every aspect of our lives and that's going to make us all, I think, better in the long run. So that's the kind of message experience I wanted to bring with every episode in some way, which is why I try to keep them all kind of different. But that just means I'm on this journey with you. And so you are with me and I think it's super cool. So That is kind of what's coming up. I'm working on the episode with Nick for this month. So if you guys have any ideas of like what you want us to cover for that solo episode with me and Nick, my boyfriend, let me know because I love to have your guys' input. We can review some of your whatever you got going on. We can have a specific topic, whatever it is. Let me know. Reach out to me and we will get that recorded. Um, What's going on with me lately? I was trying to think of what I wanted to share today and I wanted to kind of keep it simple. I always ask everyone to share something like from their nightstand or surprising or whatever. Um, I'm going to share something from my nightstand today, which is funny because I just got this nightstand. It's a long story, but basically I moved into this house with Nick and I didn't really bring a lot of my own stuff. Um, I brought some stuff from my apartment, but there wasn't a lot that I could take across the US from LA. Um, So a lot of it, I just kind of moved into his furniture and things like that. So he had a bed frame and a nightstand and I didn't have a nightstand. So for a while I was using like the little side table from the living room, which is super (laughs) not bougie. And then I ordered this janky 
like open shelving thing from Amazon that I thought would be cute, but it turned out to be a piece of trash and just like marked up the wall and just looked cluttered. It was a mess. So we finally ordered another nightstand from Ashley Furniture and it took literally like six or seven months for us to get this freaking nightstand in. So we finally got the nightstand in. It's in. I have my stuff in it. Great. So what I keep in it, um, it's kind of simple, but I always actually have my like Bluetooth headphones in it. And the reason why I have that is because one, Nick goes to bed super early. And two, I tend to get super in my head and have a lot of running thoughts at night, especially. And I love to get out of that by doing my meditation practice. So I have this program I do. Her name is Lacey Phillips um, of To Be of To Be Magnetic. And if you haven't heard of her, she's wonderful. If you're looking for a woo-woo type of manifestation pro- uh, process, but it's actually even cooler than that. It's based in science, all this stuff. I'm not going to get super into that, but hopefully I'm going to bring someone from their um, community on to the podcast, but I'll save that for a later time. But basically it helps me to get out of my head while also helping me to set intentions and goals for what I'm trying to accomplish in my life. And that's always changing. So kind of what I'm manifesting or what I'm just trying to find soon. She uses the science of like rewiring or re- reworking certain memories or parts of your childhood or your brain or even your day that you kind of want to rethink in order to show up better after you've done this. So it's my process. It's kind of what works for me. And whenever I'm just like super in my head or my brain is just like going over my to-do list or overthinking or just thinking like, oh, I'm not good enough because this and this and this is the example why like I turn that on and that just like helps me to shift that mindset. So that is what I keep on my nightstand. And I have to use headphones because Nick falls asleep super early. And one time I didn't actually have them plugged in. I thought I did. So I kept just like turning up my meditation (laughs) and it sounds super weird when it's like that loud and you don't under, you're not expecting it. So Nick woke up from a dead sleep and was like, "What the hell are you listening to?" Cuz if you hear it, it's basically like close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Scan your body. We're going deeper into it's like a lot. <laughs> and to hear that in the dead silence of the middle of the night while you're dead asleep, I'm sure was terrifying. Um, so that's why I use headphones, but yeah, so that's kind of simple. It's my sort of nighttime routine. I'm not going to lie to you and say, I do this every single night and I'm perfect. Half the time I don't do it. Um, I just notice when I'm especially in my head is when I need it. So that's when I pop it on and it helps me literally pass out. It's, I don't know. It's the weirdest thing. Cause it just like takes your brain and kind of shuts it off and just helps you kind of tune into your breath and your body. It's super cool. So that's my practice. And I wanted to share with you guys that in case you were looking for, you know, something new or wanted to hear how freaking hard it is to order furniture these days. But yes, that is my something to share today. Um, other than that, please share this episode with Dr. Diane today um, with someone that wants to hear it or with someone who's a Bachelor fan or literally anyone that you care for because I think it's such an incredible and powerful episode. Also, make sure you guys like the podcast before you go. If you haven't already, it's like the new way of subscribing on Apple Podcasts and it helps me to continue to grow and give you guys more content and continue to get this message out there to as many of you as I can because that is my goal and kind of my passion and why I'm doing this. So without further ado, here is Dr. Diane Strakowski.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a side of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome, Dr. Diane. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to sit down with you and go through our conversation today. How are you? I am great. And you, Sydney? I'm doing great. You know, I had a good, I actually just turned 30 last Friday. Hey, happy. So, birthday. yeah, thank you. So, we had like a little celebration. I'm back to work. Things are feeling good. But yeah, everything's great. Great. Amazing. Um, well, again, thank you for being here. For my listeners that don't know you, you have all these amazing credentials. You have been in the therapy field for a long period of time. Can you just tell everyone like kind of your background and what you do and kind of your specialties? Absolutely. So my name is Dr. Diane Strakowski. I'm known as the back to love doc because I like to help people get back to love, like back to basics, back to loving when you trusted people. And um, I'm a licensed psychologist. I practice in California. I've been licensed for 21 years now. So I've been doing this work for a really, really long time. Uh, but I'm an expert in attachment styles, attachment theory we're going to talk about. And what I really help people do, I have a love style quiz and I help them identify what they're, what I call a love style. And we can get into that which is really what their attachment style is to help them understand themselves better. Um, I do individual therapy with singles to help them find a partner. I help them write their profile. I help them with dating tips. I also am a couples therapist. Hmm. So I really get into the weeds. Um, and in particular, when couples have different attachment styles, so that's the number one couple that comes to see me is someone who has a conflict where one person needs one thing and the other partner needs something else. So I do individual therapy and couples therapy, but I'm also online. Instagram is my jam. And I have online courses that I offer as well. I love it. I love that you're able to take something that we kind of all go through. We all have this thing with relationships. Some of us have an easier time than others. Um, but I love that you're able to take that and then make it so understandable and take it into an Instagram platform. And you're helping so many people that way with all your different facets. And you have the courses. I just love it. And I'm so excited to 
jump into all of it. Um, before we do, I kind of want to get into our little segment. Um, I always ask every guest to bring something to share. So something either from your nightstand, something surprising, or something with a funny backstory. I know you brought quite the item today. So what did you bring for us? Well, I brought two items. Um, mm-hmm. These are my Barbie dolls. This is Nora, who is one of my characters. She's got her gold glasses on. She's kind of dressed for summer. And love. And then this is Sophia, who is the role model about who you want to be. So I used to actually make my Barbies talk, but now that's a little creepy. So <laughs> I um, do reels or other videos um, about them. Do they relate in any way to your attachment styles in the dating process? Yes. Are they examples of that? Nervous Nora is the anxiously attached style. Mm. And by giving her a name, I tried to take the stigma out. I don't want to yeah. apologize because I don't want people to say like, I'm an anxious Annie kind of. I'm like, no, you have an, a nervous, you have a sensitive nervous system. So that's why I call mm-hmm. her nervous Nora. And secure Sophia because we all know a Sophia in our life. And that's a good role model that we want to become her because she doesn't have the same issues that Nora does. And so I want to put mm-hmm. out there um, someone that you can embody. So you ask yourself, well, what would Sophia do? That question mm. can kind of help you get out of the anxious idea and empowers you to believe that you have options or choices to act differently. Where do these two dolls live in your home? Do they live in your office? Are they by your no, nightstand? They move around. So okay. I, <laughs> they're traveling. They're, they're traveling. But in fact, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, Nora has a big suitcase too. So like if I'm you know, getting ready for a trip, or because I love the show, The Bachelor, Bachelorette, that's how we met. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, I went down to see the women tell all Peter. Oh, you did? I did. And so Nora brought her big suitcase, like filled with all her stuff. And uh, so I have a big rolling suitcase. Oh, my God. So I've had them on the plane with me. And she's a conversation starter. When it, yes, I for it, sure. a Barbie, they're like, ooh, I'm either going to like this woman or she's weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I Well, first of all, I love that you've been to the woman tell all. How did you realize how long that day was going to be for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, I need snacks. I'm going to die here. Uh, it is the longest day. Oh, my God. Ever. I, I was surprised that all the women had like handlers. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. And we were right there. It was amazing. I really, I loved yes. every minute of it, though. Yeah. What season did you get to see? Peter's season. Peter's. Mm, that was a, I I had some girls from Peter's season come on the show. Oh, and. Yeah. Watching those episodes, I, I watched a few back, and I, that was a rare woman tell all. They were in rare form for that. I one. was right there, um, and and you could just see the feet moving and the energy. I mean, it was really it was it was fascinating. And as a psychologist, just kind of yeah. people coming to light in front of me and watching Peter and Chris and all of that was just fascinating. But quite the legal. Uh, disclaimer there too. <laughs> it scared me. And I'm like, oh, the people on the show, there's there's a lot going on there too. Yeah. So there's like all the things happening behind the scenes yes. that you don't necessarily see. So it's interesting as being an audience member, you can kind of see the dynamic of the show, which yes. is I think more interesting in itself than the actual show because there's so many moving parts. Oh, yes. And yeah, that I just remember that day just being like, can I please like go to the bathroom? Can you, I just go take a shot or just like take a walk really fast? Like I need a break from 
this nervous energy. It was like so much. Uh, yeah, I don't miss that day at all. But it's fun that I'm sure it was fun to watch on it your is, end. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a good- and on the Barbie fronts, um, I had a big Barbie collection growing up. Um, but my brother was like the character from Toy Story, like Sid, who would take dolls and tur- turn them into like evil things. That's what my brother did to me. Like that was his way of getting back at me. So he one day took it upon himself to cut every single one of my Barbie's heads off. They were all decapitated. <laughs> um, so I don't know what that says about him psychologically. He grew out of that phase, but it was more to kind of get out of me. But so half my Barbie collection is like little bobbleheads or hairless oh or God. decapitated. It's kind of sad, but oh. I'm glad yours are still kicking. <laughs> yes. And childhood trauma. <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah. Right. That's my childhood trauma. <laughs> oh, There's so much. But moving on from that, one more thing I wanted to ask you was anything um, that's been on your heart, your mind lately it could be what you do could be whatever you like. It could be kind of related to anything. So anything that's kind of been on your heart, mine, heart, actually, my husband made. Oh my God, so many props. I have a little wooden heart and I've used it as a prop. It even made it to like Patagonia with me for a photo shoot. Uh, what's on my heart is um, is really just attachment styles because I'm launching a course and I, um, I, you know, I'm very passionate about my work because I just want to reach a larger audience for all the people who can't afford therapy or are struggling in their relationships. Um, really another part of the reason why I do this work, Sydney, is because I got married later in life and dated mm-hmm. Han. And mm-hmm. I tell the story that I went to like seven different therapists and not a single one when I was single said, Diane, I think you have an anxious attachment style. And if I had mm. known that, the years and the energy and wasting with on the wrong relationships, I just could have saved myself and gotten married earlier. And so this is my passion now to just, that's on my heart to help people to understand themselves so they don't struggle in the same way. That's huge because so many times I hear people so frustrated in the dating process and I was one of those people. And I don't know if it was necessarily related to attachment styles, but so I want to get into that a little bit, kind of comparing my story to like what you've experienced. But yeah, it's just like the one little thing like that, like being heard or seeing that there maybe could be a different way you can tweak things or think about things to kind of have more success with dating. Because it can be so frustrating when you're continuing to try to put yourself out there and it's just really not, you're not receiving back what you are trying to. It's yeah. So I remember that time very well. And I'm so glad that we have people like you that are helping people. And I don't through those times, the people who are single now, because social media has created a whole different dilemma and online dating apps are quite different from when the time I was on an app. Um, and then, so if it's not your attachment style, it could be the other people's attachment style. That, that was the point I was thinking. So it's not just what are my issues. I have to be educated enough to understand everybody else out there. And, and then there's just bad mm. players, right? And so it, how do I filter that in? Because in a couple, right, you only make up half. And so mm-hmm. you can't overcompensate for someone else. And that's where the couples therapy part comes in, which is just so helpful. Because I don't, just don't tell people like, you go, girl, you tell him, da, da, da. Because that's not going to, like, how is that going to land? Yeah. Right? How is the other person going to hear that message? And so it's so important to think of the other person and where they're coming from, too. Absolutely. Because I've noticed this about relationships. They're completely a mirror for you and what you're bringing and this does the same thing for them. So a lot comes up within a relationship, but there's also a lot of room to grow from that because 
you can see what things are kind of butting heads or things that you kind of want to shift. And by being in that partnership, you're kind of agreeing to do that together to make it successful, I believe. But let's get into the attachment styles because I feel like we brought it up enough that I want to kind of like have you break it all down and kind of talk through it. Sure. I'd love to. So I I like to tell people there is science behind attachment theory, and it's now called attachment science. Um, It's a science because we can actually study these things in a laboratory setting. So the theory has been around forever since like the 1950s. The founder was Dr. John Bowlby. He was a psychiatrist, psychologist. Interesting enough, he studied orphan children to understand Mm -hmm. what is it like to not have a parent. So what is the experience later in your romantic relationships if you've never experienced closeness? Well, Mm. we found, you know, he found that those orphans struggled and we can understand that because if you don't know how to be vulnerable, if you don't know how to share because you've never experienced love, it's very hard to just figure that out, right? Then the study uh, came around Mary Ainsworth, who studied after Dr. Bowlby, and she created something called the strange situation which is this laboratory setting. And what Dr. Ainsworth figured out is there's four styles, four Mm -hmm. styles of attachment, the primary styles, there's the secure person. And in the test itself, it was fascinating. How we measure attachment styles is how someone handles stress. So you have mm-hmm. to understand that you're not just always operating from your attachment style. So I, what I say is we're like tea. You don't know who someone is unless you put them in hot water. Mm. And that's when you see their real flavor come out. That's when you see their unmet needs. That's when you see the attachment style. So back to the four types. Secure, the stressor in the, in the uh, situation that they created was a stranger comes in. So they brought children from 18 to 24 months into this laboratory with a parent. The stranger walks in and what any child would do, because they freak out with strangers, you go to the mm. parent and a securely functioning child would be soothed by the parent because they already have a positive bond. Already by mm-hmm. you know, 18 months, I know you are my secure base. So I calm down, I relax. And they know this because they're also they're measuring two things, cortisol levels, which is stress hormones in your saliva, and heartbeat. Because babies can't mm. talk. We can see who's more distressed. So where you want to be is a secure functioning child, meaning your parent was attentive and responsive and calms you down. But the majority of children are not. So we saw anxious attachment, which is high heart rate, high stress. They go to the parent, but they don't feel completely soothed. And this can be because your parent was already there for you sometimes, but not others. Could be their own preoccupation, could be they're busy with work, could be you have multiple siblings. It could be lots of different reasons. But that little baby is distressed and doesn't completely calm down. The next group is called the avoidant attachment style. And this child doesn't have a close connection with their parents. So their parent is not a secure person or a base for them. So they don't even cry. Like they just act like, okay, a stranger's here. But internally, Mm. that little baby's very distressed because, like, I have nobody to go Mm -hmm. to. The fourth one, which is, thank goodness, the least common, is the child who's already been abused. This is 
You're now a stranger's in the room. Of course, that's stressful, but I can't go to you because you're already abusing me. So that child mm. very disturbed. Um, I call that, we call it uh, fearful avoidant, but I call that person confused. So I've mm. taken those four types and tried to not pathologize it instead of, again, calling it anxious ambivalent. I call it nervous Nora because it's your nervous system. Instead of calling it anxious avoidant, I call it independent Isabel or Ian. And instead mm-hmm. of calling it fearful avoidant or disorganized, I call it confused Connie or Connor. Mm-hmm. And I have secure Sophia or Steve, and those are the role models. So I'm taking this concept or theory and just updating it. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also determine whether a person is high or low expressive, meaning some people are just more verbal than others. Mm-hmm. person who's going to express their needs without a problem. And so no other attachment quiz or style differentiated this, but in my clinical practice, I'd notice this. Or uh, I have three sisters. I'm the most outspoken. I'm kind of the most child. <laughs> but like mm-hmm. siblings don't talk about as many things. Now, of course, we all have the same anxious energy. Mm-hmm. If you didn't know that, my one sister who who does struggle in relationships, she doesn't speak up at all. So you would think that she's kind of the independent Isabel type, but she's really just a more low expressive nervous neurotype. Okay. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. I love the layers to it and that you're kind of removing the connotation from it. Cause that's sometimes you take a quiz like that and you're nervous of your results. You're nervous to be like the bad one. Yes. I love that you're kind of removing that layer of it as you learn about which one you are, can you shift which type you are? Can it change throughout like different periods of your life? Like, are you stuck in that one experience or like, how does that work? That's a great question, Sydney. So your style is going to stay pretty consistent in your life, but you can move towards secure. So you're Mm -hmm. not going to move from being a nervous Nora to an independent Isabel. Though, let's say I'm a super anxious type and then I've had negative experiences in dating and now I feel like, oh God, I just want to like forget the whole thing or just check out. Mm -hmm. That might be how I'm coping, but I haven't become an Isabel because my family determined my life, my style. Okay. Mm -hmm. The style, according to Dr. Bowlby, is more from what he calls from cradle to birth. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. From cradle to grave. From birth to death. But- we can become more secure. So whether I'm a Nora or an Isabel or a Connie, I'm going to move towards being more secure, but I'm not going to flip Mm. into a different type, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Because isn't it true, like our psyche and things like that are developed around that zero to 13 period? Is that the the number or is it a little bit later than that? So 80% of your brain, Sydney, is developed by two. In fact, we even know now that in utero, a baby can sense whether they're wanted or not. Wow. So before, That's crazy. Isn't it crazy? But I was um, in an attachment uh, summit and they were talking about they implanted a little device inside a mother's womb and the parents are arguing. And the mm. baby, of course, physiologically responds to that. Mm. So, so important that... The mother in particular, of course, is paying attention to her relationship and she herself is managing her stress. I never thought of, I mean, I guess I have thought of it like that because 
Is it like a hormone thing or is it just like an energy thing? Like what is that that is it's everything. so effective? Because it's everything. Yeah. That's right. Your cortisol levels is, is what you produce in your saliva when you're stressed. And so mm-hmm. baby's going to pick up if your heart rate is elevated, if your cortisol levels are elevated. And because you're sharing the same bloodstream, that's how the child is going to be able to perceive that. Um, so even though 80% of your brain is developed in the first two years, then what's fascinating is the latter part your rational mind, your prefrontal cortex, your frontal cortex isn't fully developed until you're 27. So that part is much slower. That's the rational thought. So we Mm -hmm. feel like we're pretty developed, but you can see that like later because sometimes we don't think through like consequences and why a lot of people who get married when they're young, it doesn't Mm -hmm. work because they they don't have the ability to really think that through. So with each type, like, well, how do you help your, um, I guess, patients? Yes. Um, how do you help them kind of work towards that secure? Like I say, if someone is in the anxious or the avoidant, or how do you get them to kind of like have those baby steps to getting towards the secure? Perfect. So I have this uh, proven four-step model that I work with that I help people, one, understand how to calm your body down. Because if your body is physiologically aroused, right, like the last thing you want to do to an anxious person who's having a panic attack, right, is tell them, calm down. It's not going to work because you're trying to use like a rational thought, but physiologically the body's upset. So there is something called the polyvagal theory. We have a, the longest nerve in your body runs from your brainstem, your emotion regulation center to your gut. This is why the head and heart are connected and how you feel things in your gut, right? So Mm -hmm. for Nora in particular, who has a really anxious gut and tends to think, well, because I feel it, it must be true. I'm like, hold on, Nora, your gut might be filled with gas. Like, you got to, first you have to be calm first. So the point is how to move towards secure is physiologically first, improve what we call your vagal tone. Mm. So people who get triggered easily have low vagal tone. And there are exercises and activities, things like meditation, yoga, breathing, cold therapy, uh, mm-hmm. singing and chanting. There's real somatic things, physiological things that you can do to improve your vagal tone so you feel calm in your body. Because secure mm-hmm. doesn't feel threatened the same way the insecure person would. That's step mm-hmm. one. Step two is you have a story from childhood. You have a narrative. And the story is one, it could be a a victim story. It could be a story of um, being abandoned uh, or someone not caring. And that story you could be bringing into all your relationships. And therefore, you need to shift that story. Mm -hmm. Not suggesting that it didn't happen, but a story more towards letting that go and seeing and moving towards the possibility of a different future, like not allowing your past to predict your future. That's step. Yeah. And that's more like what we call the limbic area of the brain. That's where our memories are stormed. And that's where our attachment style is formed. That's mm-hmm. mid mid brain. If, if this was my brain, um, there's the brain stem, which is like my palm. And then on my inside, this is the limbic system. Then the third step is your cognition your rational mind. So this is cognitive behavioral therapy. I help people take their anxious thoughts, reframe them, take the anxious thought out and replace it with something which is more neutral. Mm -hmm. So I'm not thinking like, uh, you know, if my guy hasn't called me, oh my God, he's breaking up with me. I'm like, no, he's busy. (laughs) 
mm-hmm. didn't see your text. Like, don't interpret, don't project that this is something worse than it is. Jumping ahead, you're jumping to conclusions. We have to calm that down. Okay, so thinking rationally. And then the fourth step, which you pull it all together, is act with confidence. Because mm. I can have a lot of insight about my history and who's hurt me. But if I don't actually start now to act differently in my body, I'm still rehearsing old patterns. Mm-hmm. So I have, yeah. this is where, like, what would Sophia do? Do that. Like, instead of mm-hmm. just waiting for the guy to choose you, well, you start dropping some hints. Like, hey, John, you know, I noticed you looking at me. Like, I think you like me. You know, like, th- that's not too bold. Yeah. Easier you're on the guy. Like, take some action. Mm-hmm. So those are the four steps. Calm in your body, transform your body, transform your story, transform your thinking, and then transform your behaviors. And if you can put that all together, rinse, wash, and repeat, you're onto something. I have two kind of questions from that. One, do you believe in like fake it till you make it? Do you believe that is something that can help? And then two, do you work with the subconscious as all like rewriting and reprogramming those memories or those thoughts? Because it's interesting with the information that I've heard about like childhood and how we develop certain memories and things like that, that it could be just like someone stole your lollipop and that creates this huge thing that you wouldn't necessarily think would be like super traumatic, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like abuse. It can be like something small that you just put in your like little baby brain that like that was me being neglected or whatever it was for you back in those in that time. So do you believe in like subconsciously working with it? Like, how does that process work? Absolutely. So um, here's the thing. we In psychology, we talk about it, big T versus little T trauma. So mm-hmm. big T trauma is post-traumatic trauma, like something big. You were raped. You had abuse. There was mm-hmm. something really awful. And that was is what we call a priority, meaning like something really significant. But attachment wounds are like small T trauma. But because mm-hmm. they happen... It could have happened multiple times or you had that happen along with you didn't feel completely safe to go to your parent, that that somehow is going to imprint on you and you're going to have this implicit kind of sense of doom or dread or fear. And so it is in your unconscious and yet you start acting with that like you or you hear, right? Let's let's say on The Bachelor, Bachelorette, you hear of everybody else being hurt. And now it's almost like you've internalized that as if that's going to happen to you. Or you think, mm-hmm. if that pretty girl could get hurt that way and she gets dumped, uh, right? And she's not good enough. Well, crap, that's going to happen to me too. Mm-hmm. Now I start like internalizing everybody else's hurts and everybody yeah. else's worries, right? And now I, I become more anxious, and you have to work through that because you are mm-hmm. allowing this, these unconscious fears to take root and you're operating from that place of scarcity or fear or thinking of the worst case scenario. Um, mm-hmm. to your second question, do you believe in fake it till you make it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy Cuddy is the person from Stanford who absolutely talks about this. Like, If you want to even feel more powerful in your body, do you know the power pose? Yeah, it's like the star pose. The, the Wonder Woman pose. Yeah, you could either do the, yeah, the this star one. pose or you could literally on a date, go in the bathroom, open your, your legs, stand wide, put your mm-hmm. hands in your hips like stands. Wonder Woman stands and hold that because otherwise we're holding it in our body. And when we can have a powerful pose, we start to, oh, 
uh, you know, open the chest, start breathing, improving our vagal tone. And when the body feels more relaxed, we can act with confidence. So absolutely, you've got to start somewhere, fake it to you. Mm-hmm. You start to feel better about yourself, whether you're depressed or anxious or anything, put some lipstick on, you know, get going, start acting as if this is already your life that you're manifesting. Mm-hmm. And now you've shifted something. With the power pose, just yes. staying on that for a second, does that have anything to do with like opening your chakras or at all or like flow of energy in your body? Um, does that have any connection to that at all? Yeah, I, I believe it, it's connected to the vi- the vagus nerve. And so um, chakras are a little woo-woo for me. <laughs> I'm not totally- I live in the woo-woo place. <laughs> um, but I come back to the science and it, it does come back to what happens is when our vagus nerve um, there's the ventral and vagal and the dorsal vagal. It gets kind of basically chunked down, and you like have trouble swallowing. And if you mm-hmm. can open it up through the breath, through the diaphragm, mm-hmm. and, and open it up, then then everything starts starts to move. Mm-hmm. But here's what we usually do. Let's say when I'm anxious, I'm on an interview, I'm usually hunched over. I'm small, right? And so yeah, the power pose is just the opposite of that: is to get big. Mm, I love it. Yeah. It's so helpful and useful and something that you can do anywhere, really, even if it's just like taking a second, going back to the bathroom, checking into yourself and doing the power pose. It's so simple, but I think it's just when you have that recognition that you're falling back into old patterns, it's like those things are just like a helpful way to kind of quickly pull you out of it. Absolutely. Uh, You mentioned The Bachelor and The Bachelorette's. And how that's happening right now. now. I know you're a big fan, which is awesome because I feel like a lot of the listeners have seen the show or fans of the show. So I kind of want to give some examples from The Bachelor, Bachelorette, like maybe from past seasons or from this season, Katie's seasons on air right now. So like examples of maybe different attachment styles or like different dating styles or just anything within the realm of the work that you do. Love it. Love it. And I've been watching it from the very beginning because, of course, I'm going to date myself like from from the Trista season. And when I was single, I watched the show. Love it. So there's lots of comparisons. I think, um, and this is fascinating, this comes back to my statistics. So on my Love Style quiz, I've had like 45,000 people take my quiz. So I have a lot of data and I'm looking at it from a scientific perspective. So the original attachment style said that 50% of the population is secure. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's true? Not anymore, no, unfortunately. Yeah. My data says that 46% of people are anxious. Mm. 46% of women are anxious, which is the dominant type in that. That 27% of women are the independent type, which leaves, if my math is correct, no, I can't do it that quickly. Um, The rest are secure, much Mm. smaller percent though more men say they're secure. And then the remainder, like 8%, is the confused Connie type. Hmm. Having said that, who's on the show? Mostly the anxious types of people. Interesting. why we have so much drama is because those are the people who generally are more extroverted also Mm -hmm. and who are going to sign up for the show to begin with. Mm -hmm. That's so So interesting. We have a predominant um, style of anxious people. And think about it. That's the person who's going to make it to the end because they're going to say, I'm falling in love with you. I'm in love with you. The avoidant person is going to hold back, not going to share it. And so if I'm the lead, right, if I am Hannah and I've got a guy who is not quite sure about me, or even let's say Rachel Lindsay, who Mm -hmm. 
down to Peter Kramer, right? Mm-hmm. What is his last name? Peter Kraus. Peter Kraus. Kraus, yeah. Good looking guy, right? And mm-hmm. everybody liked Peter, but he couldn't get there, mm-hmm. right? And that's exactly the example I give is that, that in fact, Hannah, I thought, was quite anxious. Mm. She talked about her anxiety a lot. We never, I never heard the full story, but she did talk about anxiety in her history. Mm-hmm. There was something unusual about her parents that I observed. Mm. She's not going to go into the final rose ceremony with somebody who's not certain about her because you didn't get that close. Yeah. Even though yeah. they might have gotten there eventually, they can't get there yet. So talk to right? Good TV. Or here, let's use Peter. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Peter, I also thought, was highly anxious. We find out. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to Barb, but he is a mama's boy for sure. Yeah. They have a very have, interesting dynamic. We have never seen a mother, just in general, in any one of the seasons, as involved as Barb was. They wanted to be the Kardashians. There were images of them. They did. And yeah. she was over-involved. So here's Peter. We we knew he couldn't make a decision to save his life, mm-hmm. right? He was wishy-washy. That's a classic anxious behavior. Mm. You're not sure. You don't want to lose somebody. Um, but you you kind of outsource your self-esteem. And other people are like weighing in more than you're internally certain about yourself. So I thought Peter was classic anxious attachment style. Mm. And then if you recall, um, there was Victoria F. on his mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. He was probably more the avoidant type. She just didn't want to deal with it. She's like, leave me alone, right? They never made it to actually meet her parents because it was Mm -hmm. too much. And she couldn't handle his drama. Mm -hmm. These are the couples that I see, right? Hmm. One person super anxious, the other person more avoidant because the anxious person, like Peter, needed validation, reassurance. You're here for me. I get that. The avoidant person needs space. You're crowding me. This is too much. You want something too quickly for me. You want me to be vulnerable and I'm not there yet. So those are the dynamics, but we definitely see less of the Victoria types and we see more of the anxious types. So then there's someone like, I thought Tasha was a beautiful example of a secure functioning person. Yes. Handled herself beautifully. Beautifully. I, I was so impressed with everything. She talked about it being hard, right? She didn't like say this is an easy thing, mm-hmm. but she was so respectful. And we saw that when we saw her family. Mm. You saw the love and the support and her father being her anchor. I mean, you could see where Tasha came from and how she was a secure functioning person because of that family. Mm. And so, yeah, I would say Tasha is a secure Sophia. She's a role model. Follow her. You know, look at how she holds herself with such mm. respect. And she didn't create a lot of drama. I mean, the, there's just drama in the show, but she wasn't doing anything herself to create any more drama. 
I also really like Katie right now. I think Katie, I don't think she was born secure. I think Katie has done a lot of therapy mm-hmm. and I able now to like act with more confidence, but I do think that there's probably a little bit of anxiety there. Yeah. I feel like she, Katie is very much coming into her own right now. I think it's not necessarily there from the beginning of the show, but we're kind of seeing her develop, which is really interesting to watch. And I just, you made this whole show make sense for me because I had a very difficult time being within the dynamic of the house one because I'm very in touch with like other people's energy and it was like 30 people's energy at all times plus all the other people that were around and I took the test and I was more of a secure person so it was hard for me I I remember my biggest struggle with it was like why is everyone freaking out why are we yelling at each other why are we crying we don't know him that well like what why <laughs> why is this so dramatic so I would like take breaks by myself and just like go off because it was a little too much for me to take in everyone's, I guess, anxieties at the time. But now it's just by listening to that, that's so interesting that that could have been a huge factor of why that is because that show does such a good job of bringing out everyone's sides, like every good, bad side is kind of brought to the surface. So it's so interesting to give you to, for you to give us that like kind of like analysis of how why that is and how that's kind of shown in the show, which makes sense why it's been on for so long. Absolutely, Cindy, because everybody's in hot water at the same time, right? So, and the, and the producers, I know uh, from from what I can tell on the back ends, right? They're they're amping that up. They're saying, so what is it like if you're you're the girl that's not chosen? I mean, yeah. I, I know that they're 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 amping up for dramatic effect, right? Because they're trying to make good TV, mm-hmm. but everyone is anxious at the same time, and everyone feels and, and on top of it, just comparison and yeah, that's major. Relationships that are moving forward or otherwise. So I think the independent type, the avoidant type is really going to feel flooded a lot. I think the secure people are going to be like, whoa, what the hell is this drama? Because that's just not something you can relate to. Mm-hmm. And the other anxious girls are feeding off of the other anxious girls and that's just making it worse. So I think, I think in a nutshell, that's what's going on. And I, as a psychologist, like to observe it and I'm, I'm armchairing it. So I know I'm not in it, but I'd like to highlight what is good. I do. I like to say, let's follow this. This is good behavior. Or what happens is somebody becomes like a fan favorite. So like, let's go back to Tasha's season, even Ben. Then everyone loved, kind of like Peter. They just loved him. Mm-hmm. But you don't really think, okay, he's got a complicated history here, you know, and you love him because he appears vulnerable now, but really stop and think like, what would it be like to be with a partner like that who yeah. might have some mental health issues? It's great. He can talk about it, but mm-hmm. if he shuts down and like, didn't even tell his family, can you imagine like dating him? And what would that really be like? I actually had that thought while watching that season because I had been on interviews with people and like talking back about the show. And I was wondering that too, because I, that that's something that you don't necessarily think about while you're on the show. Like you try not to think about the end because you don't want to get like too far ahead of yourself, but those things are going to eventually come out when you're in the real world. So it's, it's interesting taking that and seeing like how he would be in the real world, knowing all of those things. Like, like you said, like he hadn't told his family yet. Like those are huge things that you would have to work. They're not saying like he can't find love or can't get there, but it's a matter of like how right. would you like, communicate through that. That's exactly right. Like readiness, 
uh, for that relationship, communication styles, again, are you a low or a high expressive? So if, if you know, if, if Ben were my client, I'd be working with him on what's getting in the way of you really, um, what, what got in the way in your history and what steps are you working now to make that different? Because this could be something that's frightening to someone. So you uh, tell somebody your history, but assure me now that you're going to be doing it differently, right? Mm. Like as a partner, I would need to know what you've grown from that or learned from that to be able to now assure me that in relationship, you're not just going to totally uh, take off or ghost me or, or, or check out, right? That's mm-hmm. what's really going to be key. Which he kind of ended up doing towards the end of the show. He kind of like checked out. Wasn't and it was he was really blindsided by it, but that was I, I guess a good example of what you're yes, talking about. Yes, yes. I actually was wondering about that too because the theme of The Bachelor, it seems, when you go on a one-on-one, everyone, <laughs> the thing about it that's kind of funny but also super interesting, we, everyone that goes on a one-on-one is expected, or it seems I never one-on-one, so I don't know how the process was. Seems to have to like bring up something that was traumatic from your life <laughs> and tell your story, and that's why. Mm-hmm. Like it gives you more TV time. It's supposed to connect you. Like, what is that? Is it, why do they do that? And like, is that a way of connecting? And is that healthy? Is that a healthy way about entering in a relationship just by like laying out your traumas on the table the first few hours together? Well, I would never recommend that. I mean, this is all sped up like by 10, right? I I wouldn't say they disclose that. I would say, keep it light, keep it fun, your Mm -hmm. interests, your passions, and, you know, try to get a read on someone's energy to get a second date. Um, But I think what the show is doing, I do appreciate they're trying to bring up things like race, right? Um, We just had uh, uh, Andrew S., right, with Katie just bring up, Mm -hmm. you know, if we were to be a mixed uh, race couple, what would this be like? How do you feel? So I think we're trying to do that. And I think the producers are being wise to that. Uh, but I yeah. do think what we're trying, what why they're doing that and why bring up something is they want people to connect with those characters. And mm. I think like Ben bringing something up, or I can remember even um, Crystal, right? She brought up mm. family drama or, you know, we hear about some, you know, pretty amazing things. And it's always at the dinner part of the date, right? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Date, and then you have the dinner date and then let's let's really dig into some childhood stuff. But to yeah. me, I actually it was Jason on Claire's season where they did this like do you remember? Oh yeah. I honestly felt so bad for him. Here was this guy who like really exposed himself and I feel like they just kind of throw them out there and, and not with without as a therapist, I would be so protective and worried about my client who who just shared yeah. something without like any safety net. Now, actually a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do they have a psychologist? See, they do. We the only time I ever saw saw the psychologist was like at the beginning of the process and at the very end of the process. So they said that you could go see the therapist, but I think with the things that people are going through and the experiences like Jason had, it would be helpful to have someone like you to kind of talk us through the process. Yes, we have the producers doing that, but are they like qualified enough to be doing that? Probably not. I think there's a method to the madness, but it would have been a very I think a lot nicer of an experience having someone like you just to kind of check in with where we are. But I think that is kind of why they don't necessarily do it unless you like really need to, because they want you to stay in the world. They want you to not have that like second 
person yeah, to they, give they you want drama. I get it. But. Where I think personally, yeah. Sydney, where you know, I, I don't know anybody in Hollywood. I'm in my own little world in Menlo Park, right, uh, in California. And but having said that, where I really think they need a therapist is actually when the couple leaves the bubble when they're engaged. They absolutely yeah. need to do yeah. some like premarital counseling. Yeah, to totally get into the pressure that they are under, the photo ops, the scrutiny that so many of those couples, I think, could get over. Or I loved Becca. Loved yeah. Becca. I thought she was yeah. very secure, loved how she handled himself. But then, of course, Garrett in his past, is it Garrett or Garen? Garrett? Garrett. Right. And his past yeah. came out. And like, how could she have known any of that? Yeah. But but if someone had been there to help them as a couple navigate that and get through that, mm. to to move through that tumultuous kind of beginning part when you barely know this person you're engaged to, right? You, you don't even have their phone number. That yeah. I think would be most helpful. And that wouldn't interfere with the drama. And I think the show would have better uh, statistics than the success for sure. Yeah. You, I think if you have availability, you should <laughs> apply for that job because Thank that you. is so true. And that's what's so devastating. Yeah about um, like watching this whole season and then seeing that it all kind of crumbles at the end because it's there's so many factors. And I was a friend of Becca's. I got to see her and Garrett together and I loved them together. I mean, not talking about any of his past or anything like that, just like them as a couple was wonderful. And it's so sad to see them break up for circumstances that maybe couldn't. I mean, there's there was a lot going on for there, but it's just like someone that could kind of help each of them through the process, even if they don't end up together, just to kind of like hold their hands because there's so much that you're taking in. You're taking in the opinions of the show, media, um, the pressures of it. Just like there's so much put on your relationship and they're hard as it is. I can't imagine. And just to like step back objectively and even know like, okay, 46% of people are anxious. I tell men this, like, don't think you're going to find some, some woman who doesn't have some bit of that, right? Like, how will you navigate it? The whole point is, how will I now in relationship with this other person, how will we together meet each other's needs? How will we calm each other down? How will we become a team that handles this other pressure or what we call thirds? Like, how will we handle the in-laws, the the press? That's like a, and that together you have to strengthen as a couple and and you're not just going to come to that overnight. No, that's so major. Getting a little bit away from The Bachelor then for people who are dating now or working through this process with their attachment styles, like what do you recommend for, I guess, each type, like how to best go in about dating? Like what one with yourself and then two, say if you meet an anxious attachment or an avoidant, like how do you, what's the best way to go about that? Perfect. So if I'm a Nora type and I'm anxious, my pattern is I get ahead of myself. I get too connect. I get connected too quickly. Usually during sex, I haven't set a lot of boundaries um, I'm not interested in casual, but I do it anyway because I think that's what the guy wants. And mm. so my advice to Nora is slow your roll, get really clear on what you want, be more confident, ask for what you want, and do those four steps. Calm in your body, your story, your cognitions, etc. That would be my advice. Two, if you meet an independent Ian type, which they're out there and there's a lot of them, the, the more avoiding kind of guy – you don't know who they are until you're at least six months in. I hate to say, but like people don't show their true colors. Why? Because they're not in stress, right? So like from yeah. the beginning, everybody can fake good. And here's Ian. He he is not very verbal, but he might show himself sexually. He might be very suave and he's a great lover. And so you think, wow, he must love me. 
but he hasn't mm. said it. And he's, and you say, well, he's an acts of service guy, et cetera, et cetera. But when the relationship gets deeper, this might be when he bolts. Having said that, that's not a deal breaker. Okay, don't worry about that. But knowing that, A, don't take it personally, it's not about you, and then have a conversation. Listen, I noticed that you pull back a little bit during stress. What can I do to make it more comfortable? Mm. What can I do to help you not feel so flooded? So it's, again, none of these are deal breakers, but you do have to know yourself. So like on a scale of one to 10, am I a level 10, Nora, super, super anxious, or am I like a four? And then if I'm a level 10, I shouldn't be with a level 10 avoidant type because that person is going to make me feel more anxious. So people can right, bring out like the worst in us because of what they're doing, which triggers your abandonment wound. So now if I'm an independent Isabel, I'm actually a little bit too cool, kind of like Victoria. Like I don't share, I say to myself, well, you should know I like you. I'm here. But I'm like, mm-hmm. no, you haven't really said anything. Like, you've got to open up. You've got to learn to be more vulnerable. So what mm-hmm. you have a, a totally different thing to learn, which is how to share more and how to create your own safety mm-hmm. and how not to, like, put off, oh, my God, they're so dramatic. I'm like, no, they're just, they have needs. They're normal. Yeah. Not to shun them. And then if I'm the confused kind of person and I'm so anxious and fearful, then I have to learn how to just have fewer triggers. And I have to do a lot of work on myself in that somatic realm, that um, cognitive behavioral realm to to calm myself down to even get started. So my mm-hmm. advice is going to be different depending on your level, where you are, and then who's the other person. So it's complicated, right? Because I've got like seven different love styles and then there's seven different other love styles together. That's, I think it's like 49 different combinations. So it's Hmm. complicated. Especially I think now with all the external factors of last year and dating in itself was interesting before then, but even more interesting with the pandemic. So what is your advice or what are you seeing now with uh, that's kind of common with post pandemic getting out there, like trying to date again? Like, what do you see as like some kind of like themes? And how can you help people to kind of work with that? And I did a little digging. And I think that's a great story. Because um, I loved some things about the pandemic. Honestly, it was like the show Love is Blind. I love Love is Blind, yeah. Because you have to listen to someone's voice and you have to pay attention mm-hmm. to the story. And when you're not all physical and hot and heavy, I know a lot of women in particular that didn't mind it because they could really mm. feel like the guy was pushing forward sexually so quickly, right? I agree. Yeah. A lot of women felt at ease that they could be themselves and really see what was there. So I think that was great. But the one I want to continue from that is what I call COVID courage. You have Mm. to have better boundaries, right? I had to ask who's in your bubble, how, like I have to keep myself safe. So I had to be a little bit more assertive and I Mm -hmm. think it's a wonderful thing to do continuing now. So I tell women, don't, this is the summer of love. There's going to be a lot of thirsty people. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people ready to get physical. You still set your boundaries. You still decide what you will and will not do. And if the man is just interested in that, you will know. Mm -hmm. Keep COVID courage up. But it's also, I think, a really good time because a lot of people who maybe before the pandemic thought they could wait, then suddenly they realize, oh, my God, life is short. Crap. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's kind of a good time, too. But like, hold your boundaries. So don't like totally allow somebody else to move you in a place that you're not ready to go. 
For sure. I, yeah, I like a lot of the things that the pandemic brought up. Like for me, it was a success story. Um, it was a perfect scenario for how it kind of worked for me. Um, but I would like to move, have people move forward with some of those things. But also I think that boundaries thing is major because we get in situations where we tell ourselves like, oh, if I do these things, even though I don't want to do them, I will get him to love me. And not even that like direct, but um, we tend to do that in the, the thick of dating. So I totally get Unconscious, that. right? And, and we, yeah. from our childhood, let's say we're attracted to someone who's unavailable because that's like a parent that reminds us of on some unconscious level. But mm. what I learned is to work hard. I work too hard because that feels like love. And and here's the other thing, my advice to women, look for the secure guys. But you know what? They're not as dramatic. They're not as exciting. They're kind of like low level, just yeah. like I'm not going to pursue you as much. And we think, oh, that's sort of boring, right? Image uh, of like mm-hmm. the notebook and pretty women and like, you know, this guy is going to sweep me off my feet. And like, we got to get, throw that away. That narrative is not. Helpful. I agree. I love a slow burn. Slow burn, <laughs> solid guy, the Midwest yeah. guy who's like not all flashy and like there for mm-hmm. you. That in the end is what's going to matter more. And then like create excitement. You don't have to have drama in the relationship, but create excitement from a like a good place. What are some ways to do that? Well, create new activities to do together because couples that play together stay together, right? Like my husband, mm-hmm. we ride bikes together. We travel a lot. We take trips. You know, we're a family. I've got two stepsons. We do a lot of great fun things that can like bring excitement. I don't have to bring excitement in my drama. Um, last few questions. What are some good indicators of toxic behavior? I feel like there's some like very strong ones that you can tell right away. But what are some like hidden toxic things that we should avoid from people that we're pursuing? Yeah. Like um, I did a post on this, like yellow versus red flags. And it's tricky because a lot of them can be subjective to you. Like a red flag could be love bombing, right? Like comes on super strong. I give this example. I had a guy I was dating who brought, who gave me like two dozen roses for a week every day. And he just met me once. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Like at the time, we didn't have a word for it. I didn't know what it was. But why? Because he was insecure and he wanted to like lock down our relationship quick, right? Mm. Now all of a sudden I'm in a relationship. So that would be a big red flag. But a yellow flag, uh, you know, could be, I hate to say this, but a guy who's living at home with his mother. And Mm. and that's like a, a, a bad circumstance. Now with COVID, that might make sense. But like if he's never really launched or he's always had the girlfriend paying for him, right? Mm. Has he ever really been out out on his own? And what makes you think that he's going to be different with you? Someone who's chronically late, right? What is the message? Are they disrespecting your time? Look for things like that. Someone who doesn't treat the waitress well, someone who has all crazy exes, right? You know, the story is always, oh, my ex was dramatic. Well, are they an avoidant type? And they think every woman is dramatic. Mm-hmm. Are they taking ownership? Are they taking responsibility for their end? You want someone who's going to be able to say, I wasn't perfect either. L- listen to what they're saying and then observe what they're doing and see if it doesn't match, then something's off, right? But you got to go with like yeah. that, your your book of that person, right? Yeah, very, yeah. You have to look at the clues and 
decide for yourself, like take the blinders off the love, the rose glasses a little bit just to get those signals. And it was a little difficult for me when we were, I started, first started talking to my boyfriend because it was all over the phone. Like I got a lot of strong keys. I, I, I think I listened to the way he talked about like his friends and his family to get an idea more of who he was because I didn't have like the restaurant thing or will he hold my door? I didn't have any of those signs. So I had to be very specific about it. But um, last question I have for now is you have this idea of like getting back to love. How can we work towards that in like when we're single, um, dating, even a relationship? Like what is that idea of like bringing us back to love? I think having a vision of what you want, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I have people do like a vision board. Uh, you know, you can't find what you want, Sydney, if you don't know what you want. And people have this idea or like couples goals that, that other people's ideas, you may have a vision of maybe not getting married. And that's perfectly fine. You may have a vision of having a child on your own. That's perfectly fine because you want, you need to build your community to do that. But like mm-hmm. quiet down the voices of everyone else and what society's telling you and really figure out what it is that you want. But don't let your past get in the way. The nice thing I love about attachment theory is in relationships, we're wounded, but we're also healed. And so I hate for people to like say, oh, my God, this guy did me wrong. This guy did me wrong. I'm going to quit. It's like you can't quit on your future. You can't quit on your vision. Mm -hmm. So work on having like a strong vision that gets you back to yourself, back to what you want, not what your parents want for you, not what your friends are doing, but like back to really you. It's like your core ones versus like what you, what looks like could be the thing based on what other people like, or what is put on a pedestal for the thing. But like, what is it actually, what's your thing? Like, what is it your core values in someone else? Absolutely. For sure. Um, I guess last question I have is to kind of wrap it up is one, any last piece of advice regarding attachment styles or dating or anything like that. And then just one like last piece of advice in general from you. Anything that we didn't cover? Yeah, well, when it comes to attachment styles, I always say give people a chance, right? You don't know who someone is, but don't rush in, uh, but don't ignore things either. And you got to have hope, right? You, you have to, it only takes one. So you got to like put yeah. yourself out there. I dated a ton, but it was worth it because in the end, I met my husband. I knew it. I could appreciate him even more mm-hmm. all the other experiences I'd had. And I was getting stronger along the way, right? Like that's your journey. Yeah. So you're learning from that. Um, my last piece of advice is um, I always tell people you are not on The Bachelor as a woman. You are, this is your show. You are The Bachelorette. You have 30 guys. Now, the only thing is you got to create 30 guys in your funnel, right? Like, What's your strategy? So we can't be passive. Love's not going to fall in our lap, right? The biggest myth I hate out there is love will happen when you're not looking. I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen is you're going to get hit by a bus when you're not looking. Like (laughs) not friggin' going to happen. If you're, maybe, maybe there are exceptions, right? Um, But that's not the rule. So The more, in fact, people who meet somebody online or with some intention actually are happier in the end, back to the process, like I felt like I dated, I saw. So it's a good thing. 
right? You might get like lucky, but why not make your chances better by doing more to put yourself out there or even going on the show? I think it's a wonderful way for people to build a platform, but you already just, just going on the show, you put yourself out there to the world that I'm open and I'm looking and you create opportunities through that. Yeah, that, that was a great last piece of advice. And we've actually said that on a past episode, like you're the bachelorette. Imagine you have 30 dudes that signed up that came and traveled all across the world to see you, even if it's just like guys in your area, date like that. And just having that mindset, not that people are replaceable or that they don't matter. It's just a matter of like, no, you, you own this, you got this. It's like, they have less power in the situation. You can go into that with like confidence, knowing that you have everything to offer. Yeah. You too. I think it's great that you're a great role model to young women and you're confident of your IG page and your story. And I love that you're even doing this podcast and helping people um, expand themselves. I mean, I I think it's great. We can always become better, right? Yeah, I agree. And I love what you do as well. Um, So thank you. And before we go, can you tell everyone where they can take the quiz, um, social media, websites, your course, everything like that? Everything is on Back to Love Doc. So on Instagram, I'm Back to Love Doc. I also do a little bit of tweeting and uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, but everything's on my website, which is where the quiz is. I also have a partner quiz. So this is awesome because you've got to know who this other person is. And it's not based upon what they think they are. It's what you think they are. So the quiz is for you Hmm. as my perspective of my partner. Uh, And then my course, which I'm going to have for the nervous neurotypes because she's the most common for, and that's, I'm going to launch next week. So I'm super excited. I have courses though on like how to date with intention, meaning like how to, you know, do your profile, how to know your vision, your strategy, et cetera, your mindset. Um, I have how to get over your ex and then Mm. how to know he's the one. So it is a complex question. So I'm like talking for four hours on video, um, helping people like we're in therapy because I only meet with people in California and I get DMs all the time about, you know, could I be somebody's therapist? But unless they're in my state, my license is pretty tight. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, I want to reach a, a larger audience to help them uh, find love through my online courses. I love it. This was such a fun episode. I had such a blast and I, I think you're going to help a lot of people. So thank you so much for being here and sharing everything with me today. It was great nice to meet you. That is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Before you go, make sure that you rate, review, and follow as well as subscribe so you never miss an episode. And one thing you can share in the meantime, this podcast, obviously. Send it to a friend who needs some inspiration or give us some love on social media and tag us at Something to Share Podcast on Instagram. And I'll see you next Wednesday.